Our aim is to reach health and fitness enthusiasts alike by communicating the lifestyle choices necessary for igniting, life-changing, and ongoing human development. This is The Development Project. Welcome back to another episode of The Development Project. Tristan, we have a new venue. Yes, we do, Caden. We are in my home. Uh, more specifically, we are in my wife's office that is slowly becoming my office during this quarantine as well. So uh, we we felt like moving back to the gym, all the things that we will be having going on and stuff like that, it probably is not best to keep keep the podcast room where we had it since that's your office yeah. slash uh, childcare. So yeah, beautiful we, green color. We decided to come <laughs> here. So yeah, for those of you who end up seeing this later, yeah, it's a bright, vibrant green. Um, my wife feels like it keeps her happy and joyful and always in the right mood, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah, welcome to our home, everyone. I feel like there should be some splashes of orange here. It's like a Nickelodeon room where I like, like, like the slime and we need the big splash of Nickelodeon orange everywhere else. Yeah. So all right, everyone, this episode focuses on how you can take your craft as a CrossFit coach or any coach really for that matter and improve it to get yourself from good to great. For our members specifically, we hope that this gives a deeper insight into how our coaches gain the experience that they have and why we do things the way that we do them. So when we start, we're going to list what we consider to be the traits of a good coach, and then we're going to move from there into the traits that we believe make you a great coach. So Tristan, why don't you start us off with what we think makes someone a good coach? Let's preface this by saying we all have room to grow and improve. And we are not trying to say that we are by any means the apex of what a coach should look like. Uh, we're all trying to get better. So just kind of want to start with that, but just really going over the basics. And, you know, I think that really, if you can just hone in on the basics, that that is exactly what makes you a good coach. Uh, we're also trying not to tear anybody down. So we're not actually going to really talk about negatives. I think that those are kind of, um, they go unsaid right? Uh, so for a good coach, we really kind of have four topics for you. It's, it's knowing how to teach, right? Teaching, being able to articulate and instruct proper mechanics for every movement that we teach for whatever day we're mm -hmm. teaching it. Uh, secondly, seeing. So distinguishing the difference between what a good and or poor movement looks like. Uh, third, being able to correct those. So a lot of people, this is where it gets a little bit difficult, but understanding that you need to be able to use visual, verbal, as well as tactile cues to fix a poor movement. Because after all, we have to assume that every person that's coming in is gonna have poor movement and we need to make that movement better over time. And then lastly, demonstration. I think a lot of people think that they have to move perfectly. That's not always the case. Uh, this is really just the ability to give athletes an accurate visual example of the movement at hand. And sometimes you can use someone else to do that. Um, or even letting somebody know, hey, I struggle with this too. It's okay, but this is what we're looking for. Something like that. Yeah, and I think having a, just a, a baseline understanding of each of those four components and really sticking to them and paying attention to them, you can be a really good coach. But what we're after in this episode is what are those key things that we can amplify and improve upon that are going to take us from being good coaches and make us great coaches. So as we move into that, we actually have those same four principles, 
but we just add a little extra to them. And then we've got some other principles that follow that afterwards. So on teaching, so for a good coach, it's just, you know, articulating and instructing proper mechanics for each movement that can be done with relative ease. I think if, especially if you're experienced in CrossFit and you've done things for a long time, but in order to be a great coach, we're now saying that you need to have a deep knowledge of fitness related areas. What does that mean to you? To me, and again, some people can kind of fast forward through this a little bit quicker than others, uh, more or less seeing what your history might be, right? So for me, having knowledge in fitness-related areas can really help catapult somebody even quicker to being a great coach. Uh, so I know that you can speak on this specifically, but you know, if you have a degree or just a background that's maybe anatomy or physiology-related, re- you're going to be able to help somebody or teach somebody just because of that knowledge that you have of the entire body um, and how that can pertain to a lot of the movements that we do in CrossFit. Um, Some people come in as nutrition experts. Um, Maybe you were a college athlete and you were an expert in some specific sport, or maybe you even coached a specific sport before you got into this. And then lastly, just any other certification that, you know, we didn't already priorly mention that you have in related fields, all those things can give you what you're talking about, Caden, that education, that knowledge, just having that is a leg up on a lot of people. But I will stop there and say some people know they have that knowledge and they just already think like, I'm already so smart. I already know how to do this. And we haven't even gotten into anything else of how to actually apply that knowledge. And applying the knowledge is more important than having the knowledge. Yeah, just having it doesn't really mean all that much if you can't communicate it to people effectively and make it make sense. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I have a deep understanding of nutrition and anatomy and physiology and all that kind of stuff just from my undergrad years as an athletic trainer. And then I'm in graduate school now as a physical therapist. So those are things that I have as a buffer as knowledge. But if I have no idea how to communicate that to someone in simple terms, in ways that they're going to understand... I'm losing them. I'm not really going to be as effective as a coach because that communication piece is missing. Mm -hmm. So it definitely is important. And it's nice to have those extra things. And it's not to say that if you don't have any of that stuff that you can't go research it and learn, take it upon yourself to, to learn those extra things. And that might give you a little bit more of that edge. So that next piece in the teaching section is effective communication. So it kind of lends to itself pretty well. So Scalability and stimulus. What does that mean? Yeah, so scalability and stimulus. So the stimulus is what we're trying to get out of any workout, right? And any coach or programmer that's that's giving you the workout of the day, um, they should have an idea of what they want that stimulus to be. And it's not, It's again, it's one thing for them to know it. It's another thing for your coaches to know it. And then it's another thing for the athletes to actually understand, like, what am I trying to achieve out of this? And if, <laughs> if it's a, a line of telephone, um, you're going to have a lot of mixed results in that workout. So it's about understanding, helping our coaches, and how do they actually effectively communicate to the athlete. Um, I know a lot of our athletes are going to listen to this, and they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, he's talking about me. Not necessarily. But let's take an athlete who thinks that if I write a number up on the board, let's say a weight, and they know that they can lift it, they're like, well, I'm going to do it because I know I can lift that. The point is, is can you lift it effectively and efficiently for 50 reps? Or is it more something that you can lift maybe five to 10 times effectively for the, you know, those, those kind of reps? And so it's understanding 
how do we get that across to the athlete? Um, you know, pride needs to be taken aside. I know we talk about that a lot, like leave your pride at the door. People have heard that all the time, but it's, it's a real thing. And you don't want a coach to approach you in a way that they, they make you feel like they're, you're demeaning or like, you know, they're trying to put you down. It's trying to understand like, hey, if we can reach this stimulus, this is what's going to progress you to that next stage of, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. All the way to someone who's brand new to CrossFit, someone who has been doing CrossFit for a long time, someone who's trying to do this for health, someone who's trying to do this for competitive reasons, that's scalability and it can go in a range or a broad, broad way. So it's trying to understand, like I have some athletes who they undersell the stimulus, some oversell. And what I mean by that, there are actually athletes out there who should be doing more weight, who should be increasing a skill. And sometimes it's about letting them know that they don't know, you know, they're finishing a workout in four minutes that I've designed for seven while everyone else is around that eight, eight minute mark, seven minute mark. You know, the people who are getting that seven and eight minute are actually improving greater than the person who's getting the quote unquote faster time. Mm -hmm. It's not always a win if you're not actually getting the stimulus out Mm -hmm. of it. So, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's tricky to get some athletes to understand that, you know, you can either, you can do a lot more than you think you can, or I know you can do that specific weight, but you shouldn't be doing it for this rep scheme. You shouldn't be doing it for this time domain. More than likely you're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think, part of effective communication for a a great coach is not being afraid to tell someone that they need to change something, whether or not they agree with what you're saying and and you're doing it with the best intentions in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then our last one for teaching, it's, it kind of goes back to the first part, but it's just always continuing your education. Again, please, please don't ever think you're too smart. (laughs) Always see and always increase that education and that knowledge. Um, not trying to get stagnant and again a year or two could go by and even though you did know that information if you have not reapplied it or you have not you know increased it in any capacity then you might actually start forgetting some of the very things that you knew so well you know stuff like that yeah all right so the next section seeing so static versus dynamic faults what are we looking at there yeah so someone that's literally maybe holding a position and having them hold it in different positions to make sure that they're even able to, whether it's a mobility um, thing or something like that, all the way to as they actually start to move back and forth through it, um, understanding and pointing out where those faults actually occur, why they occur, those different kinds of things. Yeah. Um, obviously, as a, <laughs> as a coach to where this is going to start to increase is exactly that, where the intensity starts to increase. So they're, they're in that middle of the workout, right? So this is a really important piece for, pe- for coaches to take the time before a workout and really dissect their athletes and understand, like, where are these faults? Can't, I need to correct them now before this athlete starts going a million miles an hour, yeah. um, you know, and the faults become even more subtle. Yeah. And they're I, like, they look like they're moving well, but now I can't tell. Right. And ideally, if, if, you're, if whoever's programming for your gym has programmed well enough that you'll be seeing the movements that are going to be in the workout earlier on in the class, either through some version of strength or in the warm-up. The athletes should be practicing these things, and so you should be able to be watching each and every one of them before they start and already having in the back of your mind, like, this person I can tell is going to have a muted hip for their cleans. So I'm going to watch for that when they get into the workout and 
this person's not going to quite reach full extension with their movement. So I'm going to watch for that. And then being able to go around to each athlete and individually give them those specific cues. To be completely honest, there's one thing that frustrates me a lot about some coaches who don't individually speak to an athlete in a class. There's nothing worse than an athlete coming in and having that hour of their day and only ever having interacted with the coach like once. Mm -hmm. They need to be feeling like, wow, this person actually paid attention to me and cares about the things that I'm doing. Well, yeah, and you as the coach, again, we go back to the teaching. Just because you have all the knowledge in the world, still to this day, I think it's been this for 25 years, the greatest fear in America is public speaking. So it's like talking to somebody can actually give a coach a lot of anxiety. And if you assume that 10 to 15 people are in the class and you're trying to tell this one person to fix something, but you're not actually going over to them, you cannot assume that by continuing to say something over the class that that person's going to know one, you're talking about them and they're not going to be able to change what it is that you're talking. Like you need to go over to them and you need to actually have that one-on-one conversation and begin the process of changing a poor movement into a good movement, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah. So is there such thing as a person that moves perfectly? Man, this... <laughs> okay. Everyone listening, you really need to hone in on this, okay? I, I'm going to give you an example. If you are a coach... Okay, actually, let's just paint this picture. So Rich Froning walks into your gym. Are you going to coach him? Or are you going to be mesmerized by him? Or are you actually going to be stressed out because greatness after all is in your gym i mean he has we all know who he is for a reason my point is is if you are not chomping at the bit to be like i get to go coach rich froning if i if you want to be a great coach the first thing if i were you need to be like i'm gonna find something to fix Because I guarantee you even Rich Froning does not move perfectly. Mm -hmm. If you're a person who is now reserved and you're like, you're only going over there to have a conversation with him, to get to know him better, or just, you know, to get that FaceTime in front of him, then you're not in the right business. And you're not going to, you're not going to go from good to great, right? Like, it's those people that you need to be able to see and be like, you know, I want that challenge. Um, Okay, and I know... I know I think you're pretty aware, like I was not able to hire any coaches for the first, I don't even know anymore, five, six months of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only was I coaching all the classes, however, I had somewhere between eight to 10 former coaches from other gyms. They had level ones, level twos. Some have been to the games. I couldn't afford to be scared um, and let that anxiety fill me and that stress fill me. In, in fact, in, instead, it was like, I'm going to prove to these people that I'm the gym that they need to be coming to. I'm the coach they need to have. Yeah. Um, and show them why I'm different. Show them, you know, why they need to be coming here or, you know, changing changing that viewpoint a little bit. So. Yeah. In my, in my eyes there, when we talk about, you know, is there someone that moves perfectly in the way I view the body and how it moves and the response we get to movement is if you've ever experienced pain at any point in time as a result of exercise, more than likely you're not moving perfectly because if you were moving perfectly, you wouldn't have any injuries. You wouldn't feel pain. Everything would be hunky-dory 
and uh, even to Rich Froning. I mean, he had knee issues a couple years ago, and like he had things that he's gone through. He's had pain, and a lot of that's probably due to yes, Rich Froning is in the 99th percentile of people who can move. He he's really good at moving, but there are always those little things that you can improve on to keep yourself from developing certain types of chronic injuries and putting yourself at risk to other high impact injuries and stuff like that. So when I look at people, I'm, I'm always seeing, you know, what are the things that we can address and fix so that hopefully they don't develop pain and they can keep doing what they like doing a lot longer. Yeah. So when I went to my level two, I, I had to come out and coach the air squad and mind you, I was with everybody else. There's a coach. They already have their level one. They're all coaches. I had this, uh, he was the youngest. I call him a kid. He was 23. He came out and uh, he did the air squat, several reps. And my instructor said, what did he do wrong? <laughs> and I was like, uh, nothing. So he has a perfect air squat. I was like, it's pretty good. So it wasn't perfect. You know, so that's like the whole point. And, and again, I, I don't mean to jump levels here, but I'm, I'm telling you, if you're looking at your best athletes and being like, I mean, they move pretty good. That should not be your answer. If that's your answer, if they're not moving great yet, there's something that you need to give to them. And I feel so sorry for some of our competitive athletes when I came back from my level two. <laughs> I started tearing them apart. I, like every little movement they did, I'm like, yep, that's not, nope, we need to fix this. I, I've been letting this go too long. And I at least was honest with them. I'm like, I'm so sorry that I have not given you more attention. That I've just assumed that, oh, you lift this much weight. You've been doing CrossFit this long. It looks really good if it's not in slow motion, mm -hmm. you know, like, and just assuming that they're good to go. That's a disservice because after all, aren't they paying the same amount as every other member? You know, there's an argument to be had there. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not coaching them because you think they move so well, well, then maybe you should make their membership less. The person who's not moving well, who has to take more of your time, who has 20 corrections, maybe they should be paying more. That's an argument for another day, but hopefully the point's made. Like mm -hmm. if you're not coaching your best athletes, you need to really start because yeah. again, you're doing your, you're doing them a disservice. And in order to get better, they got to find those little things that they can constantly improve on. And Matt Fraser doesn't keep doing squat cleans in his garage by himself because he thinks he's got it all down perfectly. You know and what that's I'm saying? A great, you know, here's another thing is like, I guarantee if you, I know it's, I know it's uncomfortable. It's more uncomfortable to try to coach someone that's a really good mover over someone who's not. If you actually take the time and start coaching your better athletes, you're going to become a better coach. It's going to become even easier to coach all your other athletes. Mm -hmm. So I agree. All right. So the next one we got is correcting. So a couple different things here. Using successful cues. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so again, this is where kind of your knowledge comes in. Understanding that um, a cue, whether it be, you know, we already talked about it, verbal, visual, tactile, um, using a cue that actually gets the athlete doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. It doesn't mean that your cue is wrong. It is wrong if it doesn't get the athlete to make it successful. Okay. So like, this is where I think this really gets, starts to get really, really tough for a lot of coaches because this is where that fear starts to come in. This is where you actually have to start breaking down the one-on-one -on -one and you have to start having that interaction with people. You don't get to hide behind, oh, I'm coaching a big class, so I don't actually have to go up and talk to anybody. I'm just talking at. Um, this really takes the coaches who memorize everything. <laughs> You're in trouble. Mm -hmm. If you memorize everything, the one time that something doesn't go accordingly to plan, 
are you able to come up with something different in that moment? Because after all, there's thousands of different kinds of athletes out there yeah. and there's thousands of different needs mm-hmm. that they have. So yeah. that's the first one. Yep. Next couple that we have, um, multiplying or multiple corrections for each fault and then prioritizing faulty movement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, multiple corrections for each fault. I, this is going to take time. And I hope everyone understands that. Like it's going to take time, but if you're always giving the same person the same correction every single time and it's not working, it kind of goes back to, was that ever a successful cue? No, it wasn't. But even more so is like understanding they might want to start going to another coach and it's, it's nothing really on you as a person. It's just that if they can't fix what you're asking and you keep giving them the same correction over and over, um, they're going to start seeking it out other places. So start, start, getting those things and put it, keeping them in your back pocket, going to all the certifications that I've gone to having the experts that I've had surrounded or that, that have surrounded me. Like we're both teaching an athlete to push their knees out. There's a lot of different ways to teach an athlete to push their knees out. If you keep saying the same thing, that athlete's not going to understand. So I'm just saying, try to try to watch YouTube videos, try to ask people like, Hey, how do you, teach this what words do you say what analogy do you use and it it can you never know how it's going to click with someone and click with someone differently me me and you Caden like I might have been teaching someone how to do pull-ups for three three weeks and the very first time they ever have you you teach them pull-ups oh Caden taught me pull-ups and meanwhile I'm back here I'm like I've been telling you that this entire time, right? Every coach who's listening to this can be like, yep, I've been there. Yeah, it doesn't make that coach better necessarily. It just means like they, they found the correction or the cue that worked for that athlete. Yeah. People will respond differently too. Sometimes people like visual cues. Other people like tactile cues. It's, it's really different. So you have to be able to pull from your toolkit and do all of those different things mm-hmm. for everyone. And then the also another big thing is being able to balance your critique with your praise. You don't want to constantly over critique someone and never give them the positive feedback that I think is, is what's going to keep them wanting to improve on different things like that. Yeah. I do want to go back to the prior prioritize faulty movement. This is arguably probably the second most important thing we're going to talk about today. And this is where a lot of people, you can minimize, um, how long it takes to help somebody with me. Like if somebody comes in and they have five different things going on Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh man, where do I start? You can, there is a priority in that faulty movement. And I would say the first one you should always ask yourself, what's going to put this um, athlete in the most safe movement pattern? Mm -hmm. Um, We might not get to the other four faults today, but if I can change this one, at least I know that they can move, they can get a good workout today. Um, We'll we'll focus on the other things later, but now I know at least that they're safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have your athletes for a long time, so don't feel pressure to have to get everything fixed in the first 20 minutes. You got a long time to, to work through some stuff. Mm. All right. Next one demonstration. So providing a visual aid and then demonstrating your credibility. Yeah, we, we, we did already talk about the providing a visual aid there. There are a lot of things that to unpack here, but the gist of is if, if you know, you're not a perfect mover, that's okay. But I would still say you should be trying to improve your movement. You can still find someone that, moves maybe better than you. Maybe you're just admitting like, hey, this person's really good at ring muscle ups. I'm not. This person can handstand walk. I can't. This person has a great snatch technique. I don't. Those kinds of things. And also, if you don't have someone who has that perfect movement, draw them out and then actually teach them in real time and fix those 
fix those movement errors in front of your class. Like that's always a really, really great, great way. The second one, I don't think a lot of people think about, and this is where I see the most coaches from my time in CrossFit. This is where a lot of people are screwing up demonstrating credibility. So what that means, if you're a coach who programs for your gym and yet you're off to the side doing some advanced programming from some other person, so let's just throw some out there, Invictus, Misfit, Comp Train, but yet you're having all your other athletes do these things, that's not showing credibility to your programming. Why do you have them doing that if you're not doing that? Now, if you think Comp Train is what's you should be doing, then that's what you should be programming for all of your members. They should all be doing comp training with you. Um, those kinds of things. Others, real simple. How do you eat? If you're, if you have some genetic, you know, ability to have a six pack, even after you smash a bunch of hamburgers and milkshakes, I mean, good for you. But as a coach, if you're teaching everyone else, like, Hey, here's what we stick to here. Meats, veggies, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, you better be doing the same thing or something really, really close. Yeah. Um, those things are huge. Yeah. Don't expect anyone to take you seriously if you're eating a bunch of donuts every single weekend and trying to tell them that they need to not, you know, yeah. it's sort of a live by example sort of thing there. Okay, cool. So group management skills, being able to have people, good people skills and looking at class structure and planning. Yeah, so this will kind of be a little bit more rapid fire, but do understand everybody that from here on out, this is everything that we have not talked about yet. So these are really big uh, parts of becoming that great coach that mm -hmm. some people don't take into consideration. So again, group management, yeah, class structure, all that stuff. Adhering to a schedule, okay? Some people don't care. I get it. They don't care if they're five minutes late, if class goes over 20 minutes. They're not the people that we're concerned with because they'll be fine as long as they get that hour. Understand the people who have kids, who have places to be. They have to take their kids to sports. They have to drive clear across town. Um, they're at a class time that puts them in rush hour traffic and they got to get home and fix dinner or just be with their family or a number of things. The point is be on time with everything. Class needs to start exactly at five o'clock. It needs to end before six and everyone needs to be off the floor by six, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. And a lot of people do not take those things into consideration. Yeah, for sure. I think adhering to that schedule and keeping things airtight is, is the responsibility of the coach. And I think an easy way to start perfecting that is reviewing the class ahead of time, knowing what the workout is, planning in your head, you know, how do I want to approach the warm up? How do I want to keep things on track? For some of you, it may even be just you know, getting your Apple watch or something and having it, you start the clock on yourself and being like, okay, I want to make sure by five minutes I'm done with the introductions and we're getting into the warm, warm up. And you're sort of playing that thing out in your head before you even get started with the class. So, and honestly, I mean, I think for us too, what's really important is our morning coaches are the first ones that get to try the teaching the workouts. And so it's good for the evening coaches. I think sometimes to maybe communicate with the morning coaches and be like, Hey, did you have any issues with getting it done in time? Is there something that we need to change, something that we need to pay attention to? So having a team effort and to making sure that that schedule stays on track is really important too. You know, it's funny. I, I communicate with my morning coaches all the time and my, myself included, I coach mm -hmm. some mornings. It's so funny. If I wake up and I don't have a text yet 
from that morning coach, I'm already like, sweet. Everything went really, really well. Because that's the thing. We've gotten into that routine of I will get a text message if something did not go well. And they're already letting me know because they know I'm about to come in and coach. They'll be like, hey, I'd, I'd be weary of this or something like that. So mm-hmm. next one would be space and equipment layout. So exactly how it sounds. This, a great example of this is like, hey, we have four C2 bikes. It wouldn't be very smart of me to schedule some long workout that only has a 10 calorie C2 bike that comes around every second or third movement. And I know I'm going to have 15 people in a class. Like a way to get around this would be like, Hey, we're doing the C2 bike today, but if somebody would like to do the air assault bike, you can do that. If you want to sub in jump rope or burpees or a rower, that's fine. Something that I often do is I'll make those either for time workouts and the C2 bike only comes up once. Maybe it's at the beginning or I make it a buy-in. You know, that way, once these four athletes are off, they're on to the rest of the workout. And now these athletes are coming on and they're starting their workout. Um, Other things to keep in mind. I know that we've run into this, right? We have um, our on-ramp classes that come up once every other month. And they're at 630 with our 630 class. I can't be having them doing something with rowers if I have my other class doing rowers, right? I won't have enough. Yeah, well, the last time we did an on-ramp, we had... I think I was teaching the on-rampers how to snatch and then the class was doing clean and jerks. And so it was just barbells all over the place. Dropping weights while you're teaching. Yeah. And then it's like, it was hard for me and our other coach to communicate with each other and try to keep everyone paying attention to the class that they were in just because there was so much noise. But, and so that's just an example of, you know, understanding what the needs are of the gym and programming things to, to make the best use of your space and your time. So next one we have is presence and attitude. So keeping a positive atmosphere. Yeah, so this is our big one today. So I said that we would, that other one was the second most important. This is the most important, presence and attitude. So I'll tell you right, right now, I have some coaches who don't have the backgrounds as other coaches. Uh, they haven't been even doing this as long, but their presence and attitude is so spot on that it covers up all the other things. As athletes, we are there to simply become healthier humans. You Believe it or not, we're not there for all the technical things. Mm-hmm. If somebody there can smile at you, keep eye contact with you, and make you feel good about yourself, you're going to be coming back for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So like for me, it's, it is, it's creating a positive atmosphere. It's building the rapport with your athletes. Something that we do, Caden, at M4G that I think a lot of people are like, this is kind of weird, but it's really caught on and... During this quarantine, we found out that people really miss it. We call it the quad, right? Question of the day. Just a random question, but that's how we get every single class started. We go around, you say your name, and you answer the question. Sometimes it's really funny. I've gotten away from the deep the deep ones. <laughs> I had a few deep ones there at first, and all of a sudden, one person would be done, and we're already 10 minutes into class, and be like, whoops, that took a little <laughs> too long. But like that, that's one way to really have a presence and an attitude that people want to mm-hmm. see and want to be around. Yeah. The next one is knowing your clients. So how they respond to certain coaching, what motivates them, what are their specific abilities that are different from other athletes. All that stuff really plays into being able to be a great coach to people. It's huge. Like some people, believe it or not, they love to be yelled at. Other people, they don't. They have to have positivity all Mm -hmm. the time. And you got to understand how, what motivates an athlete to do things. Why do they want to do things? Um, Believe it or not, we have athletes who don't like CrossFit. They actually just like some friends or they're just there for a few people. Um, so it's like, it's yeah, it's understanding what these athletes need, why they're there. 
um, and how they react to certain things are very, very important. Yeah, understanding goals too. I mean, people have different goals for why they do things. Some people do CrossFit just because they want to look good naked. You know, other people do it, like you said, for the social aspect. And all are great reasons. So knowing your athletes personally and actually taking the time to get to know your athletes personally. And that starts from the people that you've known forever to the new person that walks in on day one. Do as much as you can to get to know them and their goals and what they want so that you can tailor your coaching to fit those needs for them. So authenticity is another big one. Mm -hmm. You want to have a sincere passion for doing what you're doing. Um, there's room for any and all personality types as a trainer and coach, but just making sure that you're staying true to who you are and, and the purpose behind why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, we're in the service business. If you don't know that, that's that's what being a CrossFit coach is. You're there to serve other people. Uh, people will sniff out if you're fake or not. Mm -hmm. um, if you're just there to get a buck, to get a free membership, those kinds of things. Um, I, I know a lot of coaches, they'll, like, they'll be in this... Um, what's it called a, a try or a, what am I trying to say I don't know <laughs> basically like a side business where like if you buy their supplements or oh, something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. like and and so they're trying to be your best friend like oh I know how to help you lose weight and stuff like mm -hmm. that and I've, I've seen people become coaches just so they can build up their own clientele inside of that owner's like that uh that thing yeah. where you like wrap plastic around your stomach and you're automatically <laughs> yeah. like super skinny yeah those side businesses. So, yeah. so it's, it's just stuff like that. And I, if you're trying to sell people constantly, they're going to know that that's what you're doing. Yeah. So again, like the point is, is you're there to improve their, their livelihood. Um, and understanding that, yeah, if you don't have a passion for this stuff, people are going to notice it pretty quickly. Yeah. So. The last bit on this section is being uncomfortable in front of a group of people. That to me, I think... And, and not to say that you can't be uncomfortable to start, mm -hmm. but you need to learn how to become comfortable. Because if you're constantly uncomfortable in front of mass groups of people, and you're not able to maintain eye contact with anyone, if you can never smile because you're so nervous, and you're just, you know, another one is like the closed body language. So standing with your arms crossed constantly, or always having your hands in your pockets and looking down and never really engaging with people. It's going to be really difficult for you to, I think, be an effective communicator and be a really great coach. Yeah, like try to take all the things that we just talked about. That would be a pretty spectacular coach. And now try to bring in this presence and attitude. I don't care what you have of all the other qualities that we just spoke about. You're not going to come across the way that you think you're coming across, right? Yeah. Um, and you're just going to be disappointed in yourself. And I know not every person is just built this way. You know, I think a lot of people look at this and they're like, oh, well, that's an extrovert and I'm not. Extrovert, introvert, it should not matter. There are ways for you to still be able to show a presence and attitude. Maybe you just need to listen. Even as a coach, just listen a little bit more. Ask smaller questions to people. Let them do the talking until you get comfortable around them, until you get comfortable teaching a class. And then, believe it or not, you'll kind of come out of your own shell even as a coach. Yeah, and I'll even speak from experience. I'm I'm naturally more of an introvert, but that's just where I get my energy from. I get my energy just from having some of that alone time and being on my own, but being able to quickly turn it around and be, you know, personable in front of people, smiling, having a good time, that that's super important for being, I think, a, a great coach. And I'm not saying that I am, but I'm definitely working towards it. And I think that's the that's the 
big deal about this podcast. That's why we're talking about these things. Mm -hmm. So last couple of things before we finish up, um, analyzing programming and the effectiveness of the programming. Yeah, this is probably, I'll be honest, this is a very much a different podcast probably, but it does play its hand is understanding, you know, programming is so much more than just throwing a bunch of movements and, and numbers together. It's really understanding that like these athletes really trust you um, to program for them what's going to keep them healthy and keep the longevity of their life and, and those kinds of things. So it's understanding that the effectiveness of your programming absolutely weighs in heavily to how your members are going to perceive you, perceive the class, if they want to stay with you or if they want to move on to something else and, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think in order to become a great coach, it's, it's understanding the importance of that. And it's not always just these other attributes that we're talking about, but yeah. And then self and peer evaluation is pretty straightforward and simple. It's just being able to reflect on your own performance and then have others that you trust that can give you feedback on, on what you're doing and what you can improve on. And I think that comes, that's a trickle down effect. I think it comes from the head coach and the owner being able to tell coaches that, you know, these are some things that I think we can work on that'll make you better. And then you as a, as a coach, understanding that you need to take that advice, take it to heart, really look at what your performance looks like and find ways to improve on that. Yes. For me, if you have coaches that you actually have never seen them coach, that's probably a problem. Mm -hmm. um, I can actually say that for a while I've been guilty of that. Uh, I just There's a few that I've known for a long time and I just kind of trusted uh, that they were doing a good job. I didn't hear anything negative. But the point is, is that you, whether you're the owner, I guess I'm speaking as the owner, so I'm sorry, but I should have taken all of my coaches' classes and it's one of those things like you should never again settle. I think a lot of people are like, cool, I'm a coach now. I've done this a few times. I come in, I do my shift, whatever, and then I go home. As immediately after your shift, like you should be evaluating how that class went. Uh, even more so, maybe there's a specific movement that you do not do well at teaching at. Mm -hmm. Go find the coach that teaches it the best and watch them teach it. You know, this isn't just having someone tell you what you're doing wrong, but you can go and watch someone who does it right and that's mm -hmm. your own evaluation process. But yeah, I think that this is actually where a lot of people miss the boat in a lot of gyms um, because it is uncomfortable. And sometimes feelings do get hurt. But as a professional, if that's really what you are and your, your aim is to become great at something, you've got to be able to put those things to the side and accept that whatever it is, criticism or, or whatever it is, to become better. Yeah. And, I, and what I would say too is and for, for some coaches out there who are listening to this and they're thinking man, I really only do do this just because I just like, you know, coaching a couple classes. I really don't care about becoming, becoming better. I would really reflect on that and think, you know, is this something that I should be doing? Because people that are taking your classes are truly trying to become better at doing anything. And if you're not giving them 100% of what you have to offer, you're doing a disservice to them and to your whole community in, in honesty. So... Mm -hmm. That's just something that I would I would beg you to consider and think about moving forward as we talk about this stuff. Well Last one real quick, community involvement. So just being a, a leader in your community, making sure that you're showing up, you're being present, and you're really getting to know all of the members and develop those relationships with them. Yeah, it's more than just classes. You should be having some type of community days or stuff with your members. And as coaches, you should be, th those should be a given. Shouldn't even be a question. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope this one was insightful and informative. As always, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating. It really helps us out. So until next time, we'll catch you all later. To hear more from us and stay up to date on upcoming episodes, be sure to catch us on Instagram at DVPMT Project. We'll catch you later, everyone. Thank you.